games you deserve. Welcome to Games You Deserve, brought to you by Special Reserve Games. This week, it's a Mother Russia Bleed sellout. Plus, we name our picks for the Video Game Hall of Fame, and Eric brings us Chapter 6 of Fire Flower. Mother Russia Bleeds went on sale two days ago, I guess is it, it was. Is that Mother Russia Bled, then? Mm-hmm. Past tense? Mother Russia. <laughs> the, you know, we, Ma- we Mother gonna, Russia's bled out. <laughs> you know, what's funny is we were going to translate um, that title for the reverse cover, uh, the internal cover, the reverse jacket art, and we were trying to translate it into, you know, Russian, so it'd be kind of a fun thing to reverse out the jacket, and... Everybody that we gave the words Mother Russia Bleeds to came back with a different translation, <laughs> that there is no direct translation into Russia for Mother Russia Bleeds. As close as we got, it was Mother Russia is Bleeding, and it did not even mean what we wanted it to. You know, <laughs> it meant like mom is dying or something. <laughs> and so, yeah, but Mother Russia Bleeds sold like hotcakes, man. I mean, it. It uh, didn't have a one-hour sellout. It only took about five and a half hours to sell out. But um, it, we had PlayStation 4 and Switch. And oddly enough, the PlayStation 4 sold out before the Switch. And, and I know we yeah. had more Switch units for sale. But it was really great to see Play, PlayStation 4 you know, come back in and have people buying the platform uh, in in strength and we had the same result with our partners limited run games so we gave an alternate uh cover or variant cover for ps4 and for switch they had the same results they had to sell out and they also had a very strong ps4 showing so way to go playstation 4 fans you showed up we had so many people that were that were telling us on social media when we first announced it right we said yeah we're gonna we're gonna put out 500 copies from ours and we were gonna have uh lrg you know put out uh this larger amount and and all of a sudden, man, people were just, you know, they were like, that's it? That's all you're going to do? You know, just, just that 500? That, that's not enough. So, you know, it was it was a great response. I, I actually loved seeing that many people come on and, and get all riled up and fired up about that and, and kind of pissed at us, right? They're kind of mad that, <laughs> that we were only doing that. And and But that's great. That that shows us. That told us, hey, we needed we needed a few more out there. Yeah. Yeah, you need to. You need if you want the PS4 titles, you have to buy them because you guys were saying in the previous episode it doesn't sell as well as Switch. But it did amazing this time. It did this time. Yeah, it's excellent. But it's the same game. You know, that's what the thing. It's the exact same game. You know, and some. But one thing uh, somebody brought up, I think even Eric, I think you might have said this to me as well, that Mother Russia Bleeds plays better on a PlayStation Four maybe than a Switch. Like just the just the way that the PlayStation 4 controller set up or just there's just something about it that 
a lot of a lot of people might ap- appreciate how the game plays on the on the PS4 console. There's just some games that just are better on one console than another. Uh, from just your personal satisfaction, the gameplay, the way the you know the, the default con- yeah. config of the controller, whatever. Um, but it all comes down to personal. You know, I, I didn't look and see Eric how many people actually purchased both console versions you know i haven't i haven't looked at that either but i gotta tell you you know there's also a i mean let's face it there's a slightly different audience for the switch and the ps4 there there are definitely some overlaps there i know a number of people that have both platforms but at the same time you know console portable or hybrid whatever you want to call the switch i like the hybrid idea but you know there there's definitely a little bit of a different audience between the two and maybe mother russia bleeds is leaning a little bit more towards that uh, playstation audience at the same time you know we did some cool stuff this time other than just the game yeah and and i'm i'm excited to uh to see these when they finally arrive and, and get these in people's hands because I think they're going to be super surprised to the the quality of these these prints that we're doing these art prints the acrylic you know and having that and that's not even that's not some flimsy little piece of acrylic either is it four millimeter I mean thing. that's that's a pretty uh, hefty it it is it's it it actually has weight and well there's there's one thing that we did in the reserves where we used this metal composite it's actually dye bond you know i'm not afraid go look it up it's a really cool it's metal on either side with a composite material in the middle and it's uh, aluminum but it doesn't have that aluminum swirl or whatever we've got an a, an actual flat uh, piece of metal that we're uh, printing on but it has a reflectiveness to it kind of like a a street sign does you know at night if you yeah, will. it's not but it's not like chrome shiny or anything like that either so no no and so that comes with the reserve so and that print version of that actual uh, piece of art the only way to get that one uh, is on the metal reprint uh, the metal print that comes in the reserve so hard to say uh, but those two five by seven acrylics what you were touching on Eric is we're actually launching something new you know it's art for your walls man you know it's cover art for your walls and so we are where it allows we're still leaving the game logo on the art but in some cases, we're removing the logo and everything and just using that, the actual background art, the, the, what we call the key art a lot of times, and letting that be uh, the art. And we want you to display it like you do other pieces of art. Hang it on the wall. Put it in a frame. Put it on an easel. You know, you just don't have to kind of oddly, you know, balance it on the shelf up against a G.I. Joe character holding it. You know what I'm saying? Like, treat it like art. And so that's what I think the 5 by 7s that even though they're like five by six point seven five, oh, it's like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> almost so whatever. But they will be ready to hang on the wall as soon as you know they have little stickums that go on the back and on the back of the five by sevens. Those are numbered, and so they are in an open pre-order state right now for those pieces of art. You can go to our website right now and get the alternate jacket covers that we had designed for Mother Russia Bleeds that didn't get used. I was going to mention that the the the, the idea of that uh, of what people's reaction was about those covers man we saw so many people so excited about that but they were also like i I only get one i only get one in the pack i gotta have them all they were they 
they were hyped up about getting all the alternate covers, right? There's four. Is there four? There's four bonus covers in yeah, there. Four bonus ones unnumbered. They're they're characters. You know, they're each one like character yeah. shots, but each one of them is iconic. You know, in the game, just depends. But um, we're even. We're having a lot of discussions about <laughs> how important cover art is. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about that later when we talk about games like Grease that we're looking at doing a, a second pressing, not a reprint, but a second pressing of. Same game, different art, stuff like that. So you get into the ideas of uh, discussions with dog fathers that I had earlier today. And uh, the Discord is amazing. Once again, please join our Discord. And it, we, I was trying to talk to him about the the differences between a second pressing and, and preserving the value and the collectability and the specialness of the first one. Cause we've never, we don't do reprints. We don't do that. But so we call something a second pressing. Well, that when I, half of the guys and girls in there, what I started hearing was we just want that art, you know? So I, I would buy it again. I don't want to buy the game again cause I don't need to own the game twice, but I want it for the art. And so I said, well, what if we did a second pressing and we offered those, uh, jacket covers flat, you know, just like we did with mother Russia bleeds, we could offer it in a little accessory pack, if you will, just the art flat. And they said, yes, yes. I mean, there wasn't even any debate after that. And so then you just realize that, um, there is an appreciation for the art of these games. The game itself is a piece of art and it's shrink wrap standing there. And then the, you know, the jacket cover and everything that went in to it is also its, its own art, you know, and if you separate it from the game. So anyway, it is neat to see how people are really appreciating and loving all the creativeness that um, these developers and independent artists have put into it. And also the team here at Special Reserve, man, you know, I was I'm a little... Uh, you know, I, I I don't know if I'm a narcissist, maybe in real life, but you know, in uh, I do give a lot of the love to the developers and the creators of the of this intellectual property. But you know, all of us on the team here, you know, Mike and everybody, uh, you know, Chloe, Beth, you know, everybody up in Canada, hello, uh, you know, they have a lot of great input on what you guys see too. And then I've got some great print vendors here. Um, you know, I grind. 10 hour days every day. I do press checks and we reject stuff, you know? So anyway, it's just neat to see that people are really getting to appreciate all the hard work that everybody puts in. Uh, it's a, it's becoming a, a meaningful collectible art piece to them that couldn't, couldn't mean more to me to hear people react like that. So when are you selling these alternate prints of these, um, these pieces that are going up, are they up now or are they going to be... Why, why are you trying to get insider information, Dan? Oh, sorry. sorry. I mean, I you thought hear that's that, what Eric? this podcast was. Like, oh, I know. Well, you know, it's not what we do. Mums the word for me. I also thought I saw something on social media about it. <laughs> I thought I saw something on Twitter about it today. Well, the, the, the Mother Russia Bleeds alternate uh, covers are available right now. You can go out and pick those up. And the, uh, the acrylic prints are available through the 7th. Those will be okay. coming down on the Both 7th. Got to get in on that pre-order. Yeah, July 7th, everything will be down about high noon, actually. I was just talking to somebody about what time on the 7th, and I was like, well, let's just make it high noon, huh? I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? Noon. I do my killing before breakfast. Seven o'clock. We will have other five by sevens for other 
uh, games that we'll put out as well. So for games that we've done in the past, games we'll do in the future. So look forward to that being a reoccurring part of our series because we want you to be able to share your love of this art with other people by proudly displaying it on your walls. <laughs> yeah. No, I and I'm, I'm just really excited and happy that uh, once again we get somebody here uh, that uh, a developer that just brings a wonderful game. Uh, Le Cartel is is got this great vision in this this beat 'em up, right? It's it's not Final Fight, that's for sure. No. You know, it's a totally different kind of style right there. So it's great to be able to bring something out uh, in a physical form that really honors that vision uh, for their game and have it sell out. And that shows, I mean, gosh, we even had them in the Discord, Smitty. Remember, yeah. they're, they're there in the Discord, just blown away. They're they're excited. They couldn't believe the reactions <laughs> that they were getting still talking from to this. Them. All right. Yeah. It, it, and, you know, when you talk about Le Cartel, they're in Paris, France. You know, they're in France. Uh, not all of them, but there's four guys. There's there's two guys that were that kind of hang out uh, with us, Frederick and Alex, but Oprim. And uh, so those are the guys in our Discord. And those are people who signed our little signature card. We we did put together a really cool signature uh, bundle for Mother Russia Bleeds we didn't talk about. And it was actually a $250 bundle. We were actually going to sell it for $300. And I kind of made a game time decision to pull it back to $250 just so everybody, you know, you know how I am, Eric. You know, it's like I love to design stuff where, yeah, we could probably sell it for twice as much as we are. But... I don't want that because I want someone to get it in their hands and go, oh, my God, I only paid $250 for this. Can you believe it? You know, like it blows their expectations away. And then, you know, hey, if they want to go and resell it for 500 bucks or whatever, that's up to them. But that's the thing is like I, you know, when I used to send away for collectible stuff, sometimes it showed up and it just you know, didn't meet your expectations of even being a $20 piece. The signature bundle included the vinyl record, included all four different versions of the game, Switch and PS4, all covers from Special Reserve games and the ones that we licensed to Limited Run, all of the 5x7 art pieces, the one on metal, the two on acrylic, static clings that we have three different static uh, sheets of static clings of characters in there which is you know old school man i can't wait to see people putting these on windows and whatever and then a, a three inch embroidered patch you know and all these different things came with the uh, in this one uh, uh signature edition and we sold it for 250 bucks there were 75 of them and it sold out in less than one minute wow but other than that you know i do feel pretty good about the sale because i think the hardcore collectors got in first they got those lower numbers you know uh you know that we do ship lower sequential numbers to the people kind of you know not exactly in order but pretty close uh you'll see everybody in our discord affirming that except when i do mathematical errors and promise people you know sub 50s and they get up a 65 you know hey everybody's human well yeah i just forgot that i had to send some to the developers <laughs> i didn't take that hey, out everybody's of the, human take that out of that sub 50 count but um but anyway yeah it was just nice to see people get a chance to get in there and buy hotline miami was such a a violent scene after it sold out people were angry <laughs> that they missed out in a lot of ways so it was nice because to see. There was, i think it was surprised everyone was surprised that it sold so quickly so yeah, yeah. which is kind of crazy when you think about how great a game that is and what the legacy is on hotline miami you 
probably should have known. We are a sex bomb. We are here to make money and sell out and stuff. One of my other jobs is I read the news on the radio sometimes, and I uh, this was like. A, what do you just like pick up a newspaper? That's right. Page <laughs> that's right. one. That's what we do nobody? No, it's just that's what, that's what they. Uh, to be fair, that's what they used to do. Uh, but no, uh, we actually have a staff and reporters and everything. And this came up in the on the wire. It's called a kicker. You know, it's a fun little story that you put at the end of the news because the rest of the news is so awful. The world is not a great place right now in a lot of respects. So you you find a little fun kicker to put at the end, and that was the one I found, and it was about these 2020 inductees to the uh, video game hall of fame. And I was, I had no idea this was even a thing. So it was kind of an interesting story. It's not just a thing. It's also a place. Yes. It's a museum. There's a museum in New York, Rochester, New York. Yeah. Uh, the national museum of play. That sounds like a great place. I think I have to go there. Oh God, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. So the video game hall of fame, the first inductees, they actually kicked this off with a big class of extremely classic games back in 2015. So it's relatively new. This is not necessarily, you know, the, 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 something that's been around forever. Of course, video games haven't necessarily been around as long as some of the other media out there. So I think it was great that somebody kind of officially made something like this. That first year though, I mean, you guys are looking at that list of games. It's really hard to argue about any single title in that first year. I mean, it's it's the laundry list of the quintessential video games, right? Yeah, um, we've got Doom, uh, Pac-Man, Pong, Super Mario Brothers, Tetris, and World of Warcraft. Those are the first six games inducted in 2015. And of, it's really hard to beat. Of those, I have to be honest. I've never played World of Warcraft. I've never been um, yeah. into wow. that. But <laughs> Smitty agrees. You, you like, know that you, yeah, you you know that you're in the minority. I'm sure right? I am. I know, and it was a I, huge I'm game. The same way though, I never got into WoW either. I mean, we're talking millions of players on that game, and especially yeah, you know, out of Asia, World of Warcraft was. I mean, it, it dominated people's lives. I, I had friends. It was like a cult. Oh, I don't know necessarily a cultural thing, if you will. But I mean, I had friends in, in parts of like in Singapore and in Beijing. They addicted, like like yeah. addicted, like a drug to WoW. They did something really interesting with World of Warcraft just recently. Um, they turned it into Warzone and made <laughs> no, no, stop. Gosh, with Warzone, every episode. Um, it's it's literally all Smitty does when he's not working. So, um, which is never it, with World of Warcraft year over year, they they've kind of progressed it over time, right? And they'll release new content, right? So you buy this new content, they open up a new area, they change the game a little bit, they modernize it a little bit each time, and there's been, you know, half a dozen or more. Uh, DLC. I don't know what you want to call them. It's not even really DLC the way that this stuff works. It's 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 an add-on. It's a you know, it's like a new expansion. I guess is really the best way to put it. It's an expansion of the game, and uh, it changes in, at times the fundamentals of the game, the the core rules of the game. But over time, it's gone so far away from what the original was. There was a lot of people that really wanted to play the original, the classic. World of Warcraft. And it used to be that people would, there was a, a version of the server that kind of got out in the public. And so you could download and run this server and get people to connect to that and play the classic version. Well, eventually, Blizzard heard everybody on that and they said, okay, we will do 
a classic World of Warcraft where you can switch to classic servers and play the original again. And so here we are, you know, years and years and years later, and a bunch of people are now playing officially classic World of Warcraft from many years ago when it first came out, original rules. And so that was kind of a big deal, you know, a, a, a huge thing to be able to go back in time. The other games on there that you mentioned, though, Pong, everybody knows Pong. Everybody knows Tetris. I mean, name somebody that's not played Tetris. My mom. Has she not played Tetris? I don't know. She probably has. Well, it was like the <laughs> default game on every Nokia phone. Remember? Like, they right. always had that and Snakes. Tetris. It came with the Game Boy when it first, uh, the Game Boy first oh, launched, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Pac-Man. I mean, Pac-Man. Everybody knows Pac-Man. But, but did everybody own the vinyl record of Pac-Man Fever? Oh, heck yeah. Like I did. Uh, I think Pac I did. Man I think my Fever. parents had that one, yeah. Pac-Man going out of my mind. That was yeah. a big deal back in the Man, day. I, I mean, they had an ode to Centipede, and I mean, I still remember some of the classic hits from that, <laughs> that record. Well, speaking of Centipede, <laughs> that was in the class of 2020. Well, if we're going to like get to what was inducted this year. There you go, man. Finally, somebody caught on. Yeah. Also, King's Quest. I think we've talked about that before on the podcast, haven't we? Did you talk about that one? King's Quest yeah. is a classic, yeah, man. But I mean, that's an old Sierra games. Um, yeah, they click. But when and did that came? That came search. on what kind of cart? I mean, that was like on. Was it, a I think it looks cart. like a PC. That was game, PC, yeah. was it man. PC? Yeah, I couldn't remember if it yeah. had a cartridge King's, or something. King's Quest. They, I mean, they had like a CGA version of King's Quest back in the day. So yeah. they started out doing six games, 2015, 2016, and then after that, they pared it down to four games per year. So the four games again this year were Centipede, King's Quest. Uh, Minecraft, so there's a more modern game, like something in the last 10 years, and then Bejeweled, which apparently was the first, they're, they're saying it was the first mobile game inducted, but Bejeweled isn't really a mobile, it, it's on mobile now, but it wasn't it was before, a, it's been... It was a PC game. It's, yeah, it's been on PC, it's been on all Didn't the... Didn't it start as like a Flash game or something Yeah, I like think that? so, and it was just like, it's been on pretty much every platform there is, but I guess right now, the way most people play Bejeweled is on their phone, so, um, but I, I guess what the, they're trying to, they're trying to ease us into the mobile games being a part of this. I don't know how that makes me feel, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> What, what do you think about the idea, though, of, of just having a video game Hall of Fame? Oh, I love it. I think it's great. Well, I do want to point out real quick that the, in Dallas, we do have the National Video Game Museum. And you can look that up at nvmusa.org. But the National Video Game Museum uh, started here. It's actually in Frisco, which is just north part of uh, Dallas. And uh, they... This is actually a place where people go into. I, I I didn't I wasn't really aware of the place in New York that had a uh, a brick and mortar, if you will. But the National Video Game Museum is where you can go in and actually see every single console ever made, displayed with information about it. And they actually have like birthday parties there and kids, and they they take school trips oh, there wow. to the National Video Game Museum. So, you know, I think it's amazing, and especially when you do it that way where people you actually get to go and see it in real life and i think that that's the thing where this newer generation this younger generation that will never probably even own a console that's tethered to a tv ever again you know what i'm saying that they can at least go and see it and they won't have the same visceral reaction that we do or anything like that but i think they'll at least try to understand that uh, you know we were walking before we were mobile <laughs> you know <laughs> 
Um, it looks to be more. I think I'm not sure about this. This one is this, this um, from the, the the strong the National Museum of Play. It's not just video games. It's also toys and other other things. So they're right. they're like kind of casting a wider net here. Uh, whereas the other one, the one you just mentioned, Smitty, is just video games. But they have like. Um, arcade cabinets and consoles and all these different things like they've got these looks like an amazing displays here so that's going to be my second stop on my my trip to <laughs> i go to rochester yeah. new york then i come to come to frisco texas um <laughs> you you may want to schedule something kind of in between those <laughs> well but but hold on long this is drive. how you can get eric to come with us you know what else is in frisco texas that's right the headquarters for the world famous america's team dallas cowboys that's where, practice, that's where their practice facility is but there's also a lot of other great things that's where toyota relocated their marketing headquarters from california there and uh, I think you've got uh, Ikea up Ooh. there. And, uh, you know, Frisco's got all the good stuff. So you can go get some of them <laughs> uh, meatballs, you know, yeah. while you're over there. <laughs> get Go play some video why games. Do you, why do you talk about football players like that, man? I mean, you know. Meatheads. Oh, meatheads. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right, different. Right. That's different. Hey, but, you know, one thing, you were when you're talking about World of Warcraft, too, I wanted to make sure and give a, a shout-out to a company uh, back uh, from South Korea that we used to work with named Fanagram. And they were such big WoW fan, fans that they did a, a game called Kingdom Under Fire. And if you never saw Kingdom Under Fire, the first one for PC was called Kingdom Under Fire, A War of Heroes. A War of Heroes. Uh, and then they did have some for uh, Xbox where they had Kingdom Under Fire, the Crusaders, and Kingdom Under Fire Heroes. But, um, you know, this is 1994 where they were actually founded, and they were just a, a great company. We did... Uh, publish uh, Kingdom Under Fire under Gathering of Developers back in the late 90s. So anyway, just a, another great game in the in the spirit of WoW that you were talking about, Eric. I didn't know if you ever even knew about Kingdom Under Fire. No, so. I don't think I've known about that one. That man is playing Galaga. Thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. And there's a ton of good stuff in some of the other years. You know, you, you've got Sonic the Hedgehog, you've got Space Invaders, Zelda, you got... Donkey Kong, Street Fighter 2. I mean, we, we've even talked about a, a handful of these games. Yeah, I, I found one in here. It makes sense. It's a little bit funny to put this in the company of the rest of these, but it totally makes sense. Microsoft Solitaire. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, I mean it Solitaire, is every uncle, grandfather, and father I've ever met in my life knows how to play Solitaire. Wasting time in offices across the world. Exactly. That's what we do when <laughs> we're trying to kill that last half hour at work. Can, okay, let me ask you this, Dan. When you're playing Solitaire against your computer, don't you just kind of have a sneaking suspicion that those aren't real cards under there that that computer is dealing me. I mean, it can deal me anything at once. Yeah. I'm, I am literally clicking on something <laughs> as if I have a chance of winning. It's predetermined. This is not a game of chance. This is just me wasting time until my computer <laughs> rewards me and spits a cookie out so I can eat it. Right. I have one solitaire before, so I, I don't, I don't distrust it necessarily, but it does feel better to play it physically. The physical, let's get back to the physical games, right? The physical stuff, the dealing the cards feels more more um, real to me, I guess. But Absolutely. hold on, my computer is trying to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Well, uh, with all of the great games that are in here, considering this has only been happening since 2015, I mean, you're you're really only talking about close to 30 games in here. Mm -hmm. um, so, what games are not in here that you guys? Mike Tyson's Punch Out. 
See, now that's actually not that's not a terrible. I I love the choice. Well, actually, I I do. When we were talking about it, I thought weirdly enough, it popped right in my head. But the reason I like Mike Tyson's punch out is uh, not one. I love Mike Tyson, you know, back in the day. But it was one of the greatest games that truly merged licensing Mm -hmm. and fun gameplay. And it brought in a mass audience quickly to a game that it wasn't necessarily that easy to play you oh, know no, you could like tough. get yeah. in there and i mean once you got up against a bull oh my god she just blew his name bull, bull, but, bull. Uh, uh yeah one yeah kill you right i mean you know there was just you there was some of the opponents that if you weren't perfect against you weren't gonna win you weren't gonna be and god if you got to to mike tyson well then hey hello you're, look, you're talking about the earlier version of the game before they took his name off of it before you yeah, before it became just punch out yeah. yes yeah yeah when he was just a boxer and the worst thing in his life was don king yes yeah, right uh, so yeah. yeah but there was yeah that there is that version of the game where you do fight mike tyson but later on they took him out and i don't know who you fight at the end of the, the newer G- one give me another smitty hit me with another choice here from 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 your thoughts for me terminal velocity you know i mean i really like terminal velocity because it was the first 3D game for Windows 95. And it was also the first video game distributed on disc, on CD-ROM. And so, yeah, it was from Terminal Reality, and, you know, yeah, I might know the people involved in it. But it also had Luke Skywalker, (laughs) Mark Hamill did the voiceover in it as well. So it had everything going for it. But it was the first 3D game for Windows 95. And so up until then, you really had Microsoft Flight Sim, which wasn't considered a game. It was a simulator. And you had Bruce Artwick team that was doing that game engine that allowed that open world uh, navigation type idea of flight sim. And so that's uh, Mark Randall, who was the guy behind Terminal Reality and the head programmer, founder. He came from Bruce Artwick. And so his graphics engines that we worked with were always meant to be large spaces, open world, 3D topography, uh, you know, things like that. So then this idea of terminal velocity being this 3D space flyer, which is that's what it is. You're flying in a spaceship, you know, over alien terrain um, was revolutionary, you know, in in that style of gameplay for your PC at home. So I would say terminal velocity uh, for But By the way, it was made for Mac and then ported to right. PC, which is not necessarily usual anymore. You know, you don't no, see that no. happening. No. Yeah, it doesn't no, no, usually no. So, start on that side. It usually so ends I, on that side. I always go back to Terminal Velocity. I love one as a child that I just in played endlessly, endlessly, endlessly was Pitfall, oh. and I just absolutely adored that game. I'm surprised uh, that that's not on here. To be honest, I, I know, I know. It was just the mechanics of that game were everything you know you got to jump over things you got to grab and swing under things <laughs> have know, i talked about to... how that guy actually made that happen back on the atari 2600 Mm-mm. the guy that programmed because you know the, the 2600 wasn't very uh, uh capable right it, it's yeah. it's very limited but he wanted to do something that could kind of be dynamic so he created a mathematical formula that would automatically generate the level based on the result of the formula and he had a seed value and so every time he wanted to kind of see what the levels would be one after the other, he would change the seed value, burn it to cart, 
run it and see how the levels went. And then he'd just keep doing that with a new value over and over and over until he found a series of levels that were playable for a long time and enjoyable. And that's how he did it. So it's really just a mathematical formula that generates that's, all the that's levels. That's why I could never finish that one level because I'm not, I'm bad at math. Oh, <laughs> You're bad at math. That's right. But uh, I've got two more. I've got two more though. I will, oh, you got two more. Okay. okay. Give, like, me, give me those. Know, one, I, I know Street Fighter was in there, but really the one, you know, Tekken oh. has a, had a whole Ooh. other level, whole other level, you know, what, 3D, yeah, 3D right? fighting. It was just very different as it, but you know, what's your favorite Tekken out of those? Uh, out of the series of Tekken games, do you do you, uh, well, do you have a favorite? No, I mean, no, I mean, I, I'm trying to even remember some of my favorite characters because it's been honestly quite a long time since I've played Tekken. I just remember how important it was, not necessarily to me, but some of my friend groups. That you know, it was what they did on Friday nights is they played against each other, you know, and there was obviously some screaming and yelling and some friendships lost <laughs> on some of those Tekken nights. But, uh, and then, you know, but, um, you know, the, I'm not all about, you know, just fighting games and all that kind of stuff. I also loved Age of Empires and that'll be the one I close on is that just, I loved Ensemble Studios. They were also a great Dallas company and, you know, one of the ones under Microsoft games, but, um, Bruce Shelley and those guys, oh my gosh, Age of Empires. We, we would leave Terminal Reality early. My, I had a roommate, Chuck Carson, who was an artist there. And we would leave work sometimes early on Fridays just as a treat, <laughs> you know, to not work till midnight. And we would go home and we would sit in our different rooms and we would play Age of Empires all night. <laughs> now, it wasn't a co-op, it wasn't a multiplayer. And uh, it was just such a great game for me. I loved SimCity, you know, but uh, Age of Empires was a little bit different for me. It was... Uh, it, and it was kind of like a history lesson as well. It was a, a great, it was one of the cool games that I'd seen that had like historical merit a little bit, if you will. And uh, you could, didn't necessarily learn history by playing it, but you certainly learned a patience. <laughs> yeah, but it was great. Like graphically, it was really cool. And all the, the landscapes, you know, were just really cool. The tiling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could control large swaths of people just by mousing and dragging yeah. over the, you know. Uh, uh, you know. Yeah, send your regiments yeah. wherever. Yeah, and, so yeah. it made it, it playable. It made it, So Age of Empires for me brought the, it, it embraced everything that Windows was. Point and click. Point and click. All you got, you don't have to know everything about it. All you got to do is point what you want and click it. And, uh, and it had a great UI, you know, for that. Um, so, uh, and that would be user interface for if my mom's listening. But uh, <laughs> so anyway, those are, you know, a couple of the games I thought about right off the top um, that maybe there's a variety in there. Uh, Dan, what do you think? Right. It looks to me like what they're trying to do is pick games from different eras. Uh, that's why Minecraft was in this year's list because um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a more modern game. I'm actually struggling to think of any modern games <laughs> that should be in there other than Minecraft at this point. So mine are all older ones. Um, first of all, I thought about Dragon's Lair. Oh, yeah. First laser disc game. Well, the, the, yeah, and I know that it's super hard. And I know it just sucked your quarters out of your pocket, but that's why it was made. <laughs> I know exactly. But there should be something said about the way that game was made and, and the, how it looked and how it just got so everybody in the arcade excited to watch it. Well, remember, it had a second monitor. Yeah, yeah, it had screens so everyone could sit around and watch the person play, yeah. and it was impossible to play. It's a good choice, it's a, though. It, it's, it's but I think it, it has significance. That's why I picked it. I think it has significance in video game history. Um, yeah. You know, and they they did. Did they do a sequel to it? I don't remember if they did or not. I think they did. Um, 
Yeah, they do. There, there's, there's that. But then there's not only the sequel. There's also Space Ace, which That's is right. Space Ace, just like it, but set in a with, different setting. Yeah, with the I space forgot about guy. that game. Um, anyway, yeah. so yeah, that, that's one of the ones I picked. I also chose based on the Madden choice, which is in there. Madden, the first, I guess, the first Madden is in in the Hall of Fame. Um, yes. For me, being a good Canadian, I would choose NHL '94 as being the <laughs> sports game that I would choose. Like that is the best sports of of that series of that early run of those NHL games. NHL '94 is widely uh, regarded as the best. '95 uh, they changed the game engine and it wasn't as good. Yeah. So but you're that, talking about probably the Genesis version. Yes, of course. Of yes, that, the Genesis if I had version. To guess. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I had it on Genesis. Go Gretzky. <laughs> And then I also picked uh, Goldeneye for the 64. Oh, Because oh, yeah, that one was just... The, I know that Doom came before it, but that one, because it was so readily available on the 64, it just kind of popularized the first-person shooter even more so than, than Doom did. So I think it, it deserves a place That's as well. also a very good choice. And, and I'm surprised that that one's not chosen either. Well, again, yeah, but you, like you said, they've only, been, they've only been doing it for five years, so they have a lot of time to... A lot to draw from. I'm sure these will end up in there at some point. Do you have any other picks, or is that it? Uh, I've got a joke pick. <laughs> <laughs> I put Minesweeper because um, because I, solitaire's I, in there. I don't know that that's a joke. No, it's like <laughs> saying checkers and chess don't belong, you know, in a, the best of the yeah tabletop games or something. Minesweeper, yeah. I guess, yeah. is one of those ones that was always available on the phones on the old school phones. I think that's a legit choice. Wasn't there a Minesweeper that they would put in the back of the comics, like by the? Uh, crosswords wasn't there like a minesweeper type grid uh, thing that huh, you could, I don't know I, about I, that. I, I could have sworn my newspaper had something minesweeper ish in the printed now, now you might have to explain what a newspaper is to some of the younger people <laughs> <laughs> well it used to be honestly you know, you know here's a weird one for the old 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 people in the group here i would i remember my grandmother saying you know if you ever encounter a woman having a baby and you need a clean towels and things to help her birth that baby you can always get a newspaper because that stuff is actually you know almost perfectly clean because it came right off the press and i was just like what but i get ink all over the baby what are you talking about? well i know but you know you see people pack fish and all kinds of stuff in newspaper and it's just so weird uh newspapers you know for for what they were they had so many uses you know (laughs) and and what are what are the uses for newspapers now oh they sit on your curb until you're like why do they keep throwing these things on my lawn packing material (laughs) no it's packing material i just crumple Mm. them up stick them in the box you can also wrap presents with them and and act like you're really cool, but you can only get away with that once. I kind of thought a little bit about what what Dan had said and how they're picking games from different eras. So I actually did pick a game from different eras on this when I was thinking about it. So I've got one from each decade from the 70s all the way through the the 20-teens. So... So the first one is 1976's Breakout. You know, yeah, it's the, the, color the little one? ball that's hitting all... Yes, yeah, hitting that all game, the little yes. tiles and everything. That's come out on pretty much every platform ever since. That came out on the 5200, I right? think they've had that on literally every platform. I, I, The one that I played the most wasn't necessarily the 76 arcade game. I used to play Arkanoid, which yes, is that's the, one I the remember. same yes, thing, in, in, you know. In the arcade. At the, it was at the arcade. When yeah, I but I mean it, yeah. that's that's essentially the same thing. So why not go to the original and say yes, breakout? Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, there was a bunch of different versions of that. 
in the 80s, and this one surprises me it's not on there, Metroid. Oh, dude, Metroid. Yeah. Metroid. Yeah. Metroid, Super Metroid. The Game Boy had yeah. a Metroid. You know, I mean, it, it's become a phenomenon. They did 3D versions of Metroid with Metroid Prime, the trilogy. Um, it, Metroid is poised to make a comeback. Uh, Nintendo has hinted at this stuff coming back. They've teased. Uh, you know, I think COVID probably pushed that stuff back a little bit. But, but yeah, Metroid's a, a classic. It's certainly the one they haven't touched at all, I think, in the era of the Switch, right? They have not made a metro game yet so they're they're due they're, we're due for a metro game for sure hmm we should make some calls <laughs> right right maybe you got an uncle or something you can hey, you, you can know talk to. you know <laughs> you know we have an uncle <laughs> all right in the 90s mist wow. ah yes team mist and then the, what was the follow-up um riven? riven riven yeah i remember that one too riven of course, there's you know three more after that too. But uh, Mist is such an iconic game. You know, you you had the QuickTime player in it that would actually play little movies that were embedded into the game, right? And and so as you went, you had the guy that was talking through the book, you know, and he's he's kind of giving the story, and you're trying to figure out these crazy puzzles, and you're you're making your way through the island. And what's funny about that is the original Mist, it didn't move. Like there wasn't movement when you went from screen to screen, but everybody in their head kind of remembers that you would do that. And so later, a company developed a game called Real Mist, which basically replicates Mist in actual 3D engine. And Real Mist was released by our friends over at uh, Limited Run just recently for the Switch. So you can buy Real Mist and play a 3D version of the original Mist, which came out nearly 30 years ago at this point, on your Switch, which is amazing. We get into the 2000s, and I, I had a really tough time with this because there are a ton of really good games, but you know I was looking for something iconic. And our friends over at Valve released Portal. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else, but... Counter-Strike. I thought you were going to say Counter-Strike. But Counter-Strike is is great, but it's not as revolutionary in gaming as Portal. Portal had... Portal took some... Uh, there's a specific concept of what Portal did for gaming. Uh, typically in 3D games, when you walk through, let's say, a space into another space, it makes sense that the room size is the same as what it should be when you look at it from the outside. So if you went into a house, the size inside the house was what it should be, right? It wasn't bigger. It wasn't smaller. In Portal, when you walk through a portal, you can see something on the other side of that portal that is different in size of, in space than what it would be, you know, by looking at it from the outside. And that introduced a brand new concept in how gaming could be coded, you know, how you can move from one 3D space to another and change the size of the expected space. On top of that, it was just a an amazing game and the sequel is even better, but I think you have to give it to the original. I think you have to oh, say for that. Sure. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. that, that mechanic of having the portal gun and, and being able to, uh, you know, move around and stuff like that. That was really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. I think you're right. All hail to valve as well for creating one of the greatest, uh, storefronts steam, uh, you know, for that without steam, you know, you couldn't have had uh, a lot of the independent, uh, video game success. That's, well, they, they brought a lot of that to people. I mean, it's amazing. You know, when Steam started, it was very highly curated and very, you know, the all the games were like super vetted and, you know, and so they did establish a, 
uh, a clearinghouse, a marketplace that, you know, had a trustworthy, um, I guess, aura to it or whatever. But, uh, you know, now it's become a, a place where you, you have an opportunity to get your art out there and you really do have a real shot at being um, discovered, being uh, supported, being, you know, a, f- a huge failure. <laughs> you have that opportunity. You have the same opportunity. It's a really neat. So, you know, all hail to Steam. It's a great, great platform and uh, super glad it was uh, invented. And I got one more for the, yeah, for the 20 teens. Okay. This was probably the most difficult era to choose something from, right? The most recent era. And so it's a little bit early in the 20 teens. 2011, The Elder Scrolls V, oh my gosh. Skyrim. How could oh, wow. you not have Skyrim in a mm. list like this? Yeah. Skyrim defined the modern RPG, and it is to this day one of, if not the most modded games that you can find. In fact, to the point where you can go on, there are websites completely built out of mods where you can customize your install of Skyrim and make it look incredibly lifelike and realistic to this day. And the, the the depth of story, if you really want to chase it down in Skyrim, is there. It, it brings all the modern elements to an RPG. It really does kind of exemplify what a, a, a classic, a modern classic would be, in my opinion. So it was really hard to do that. Plus, I mean, it's the Elder Scrolls, right? You, you, you've got Oblivion. You've got all these things. You've got, you got you know, just a, a whole slew of of story behind this and they're poised to come out with another one that they teased gosh like what a a couple of years or a year and a half ago so i can't remember exactly when they teased it now but it's been a while i think longevity has a lot to do with this like that's one of the reasons why minecraft is in this uh because minecraft has been out for 10 years now and it's still oh my gosh really yeah Yeah. it's been 10 years so it's as popular as it ever was like it's one of the biggest games ever um what i love about minecraft is that it's cheap (laughs) it's 20 30 bucks or whatever it is it's 20 30 Mm -hmm. bucks and it's so infinite like i probably purchased uh because the discs get scratched up with my kids and everything i probably purchased like three versions of minecraft for different systems but it's worth it right because it's such a great game and that's the same thing as elder scrolls Skyrim, I mean, um, Skyrim, like you said, 2011, it's been nine years, still as popular as it ever was, yeah. and still like a huge community around it, so that that's a great pick. I think you should be on this uh, selection committee, Eric. I think your list is the best list out of, out of all, all of us. <laughs> I love all these games, and, and I think that, you know, the idea of kind of memorializing these things into a Hall of Fame is really a good idea, and sharing that, because what do we do? We talk about preservation. That's what this is, too. A Hall mm-hmm. of Fame for video games is absolutely preservation for the ages. And so. all these games are available to play at the at this museum in Rochester, New York. Oh, so you can fun. go down there and play them and they have them set up. So I guess, I, I don't know if that means they have like, um, they have a, uh, uh, I guess, an arcade of Centipede. Is that what they would have there? <laughs> I don't know. I would imagine good. so. They might even have some, some consoles. By the way, anyone can log on to their website and nominate a game. And it's World Video Game Hall of Fame. Dot org. Yeah, spell that whole thing out. World Video Game Hall of Fame dot org. I'll put the link in the description below so people can click on it. Yeah, definitely <laughs> do that. But you can go and you can, anybody can nominate a game. So if you guys feel strongly about a game, you can go out and vote for it. One of the things I'd like to do is invite our podcast listeners to go ahead and contact us and tell us 
what game you would want to nominate in here that's not already in the list. Did we miss something? Did you have an idea that we didn't think of? You can leave one of those wonderful voicemails. Dan, tell them how do they do that again. In the description below the podcast, you'll see a link that says leave us a voice message. And if you click on it, it may prompt you to download the Anchor app, which is what you're going to have to do if you want to leave a voice message for us. But then you can delete it afterwards if you want. Uh, leave us a message and uh, and we might play it on the podcast. Or you can go ahead and email me, eric, E-R-I-K, at specialreservegames.com. Previously on Fireflower from Paper to Pixels, Nintendo enters the Wild West with light gun in hand, innovating in the field of electronic entertainment. Using Sharp's photosensor technology, a brand new form of fun starts to take shape both at home and at the arcade. While an oil crisis, courtesy of OPEC, nearly pulls the rug from underneath Nintendo's exciting new ventures. Though light guns and 16mm projectors brought a wow factor to the early arcade scene, Hiroshi Yamauchi continued to push the company to be forward thinkers and masters of creativity. And with the beautiful minds of Gunpei Yokoi, Genyo Takeda, and Masayuke Uemura, the sky is the limit. What you see here is a standard television receiver, exactly like you have in your home or business. However, there is a complete difference because you are about to view a communications technique that'll do many startling things. In the late 1960s, CBS Labs, the R&D department of the CBS Television Network, had developed a new film-based video recording format. This new film used a twin-track 8.75mm format, and the film was wound in a 750-foot reel stored in a plastic cartridge. With this small and effective format, players that were much more compact could be manufactured. Additionally, the film did not require tractor feed holes on the sides of the film to pull it through. The user would simply insert the film cartridge into the unit and it would grab the film for you without having to feed it manually to set it. Initially, the format was only used in black and white with the ability to swap between tracks. It even offered freeze frame and the ability to step through the frames in either direction. Over the course of the next few years, CBS Labs was able to introduce a color version where one track was used for luminance and the other for chrominance. Though CBS themselves never manufactured players for the format, Multiple electronics companies licensed the format and produced equipment. One of these partners was Mitsubishi, who in 1975 began collaboration efforts with arcade game manufacturers. Nintendo used the video technology to introduce large-scale five- and six-player race betting games. EVR Race was released in both car and horse race format. Each player stood around the game cabinet and made their choices for which horse or car would win. After the player selections were made, the EVR player would run the race on the screen for everyone to see. 
EVR video produced a rather high-quality picture for its time. EVR Race was designed by Genio Takeda and is considered by Nintendo to be their first video arcade game, though one could argue that the Laser Clay shooting system should also have said title. Although at the time, EVR systems produced a high-quality video experience that was difficult to beat, the format did not catch on, with Mitsubishi ultimately ceasing production only one year later in 1976. The failure of EVR ultimately pushed Nintendo towards looking for yet another core technology to place at the heart of their arcade entertainment devices. Recent developments between Nintendo's R&D 2 team and Mitsubishi on the home front would prove to be just the thing they needed. Utilizing a CRT video screen and computer circuitry, Nintendo would release Computer Othello to arcades in 1978. Computer Othello was a sit-down cocktail-style cabinet with controls for up to two players running in black and white with a green color overlay on the screen. Between 1978 and 1980, Nintendo produced a few other games similar to this platform, including Monkey Magic, Hellafire, and Space Fever. Also in the list of games that Nintendo was developing during the late 1970s was yet another Wild West shooter called Sheriff. In Sheriff, the player controls the titular character with an eight-way joystick, shooting down bandits via a rotary dial control. But the most notable detail about Sheriff is not the technology or the controls at all. The cabinet artwork was created by none other than one of Nintendo's newest employees, Shigeru Miyamoto. Miyamoto hired in 1977 as an apprentice in the planning department. He was also involved in art for the 1980 release of Radar Scope a seven-color fixed-shooter game similar to Space Invaders, but with a perspective shift. Radar Scope arrived at a critical moment for Nintendo. Over the years, Nintendo had begun selling many of their products within the United States, and it seemed to be a natural move to expand the business. Hiroshi Yamauchi's daughter Yoko had married a man whose family owned and operated the quite successful Arakawa Textiles Company. Minoru Arakawa attended Kyoto University during the early 1960s and subsequently moved to Boston, Massachusetts to attend the prestigious MIT. While in America, Arakawa traveled throughout the states on a shoestring budget, often sleeping in his car. After returning to Japan, Arakawa met Yoku Yamauchi during a ball. They began dating and wed shortly thereafter. Arakawa was eventually offered by Hiroshi the opportunity to use his experiences in America to become the first president of Nintendo of America. Soon after taking the position, Arakawa ordered 3,000 units of radar scope for the American arcade market. As fortune would have it, Nintendo was unable to move enough units of radar scope. Only one third of the units were sold, and the game was quickly becoming outdated and a failure. In an attempt to salvage the disaster, Arakawa contacted Nintendo of Japan and asked Hiroshi for a new game that could be retrofitted into the remaining 2,000 units that were already produced and sitting in a warehouse collecting dust. Pulling together talent throughout the organization, Gunpei Yokoi was paired with Shigeru Miyamoto to develop a game that could help salvage the remaining radar scope units. Their efforts resulted in one of the most well-known arcade games of all time, starring a damsel in distress, a gorilla villain, and a little hammer-wielding hero. Through creativity and unique circumstances, Donkey Kong was born.
So what's coming up for Special Reserve Games, guys? What do you have coming down the pike? Well, we have many games. Actually, the second half, well, the second half of the year is getting ready to be quite fun. And uh, the the first half of the year, we've noticed a cycle of building where <clears throat> the physical direct-to-consumer business does seem to be kind of opposite of what big box retail is. So during November and December, early January, where you know the, the Best Buys and the GameStops and the Walmarts are getting all that foot traffic and Amazon's getting tons of orders, we aren't. You know, and and the, and then in the summer when a retail is dead. We're thriving. <laughs> well, we've also noticed a similar cycle with uh, developers, you know, that people take family time and, and enjoy the holidays together and whatnot. So we kind of have a lull around Christmas as well, where we all enjoy peace and quiet, maybe the mountains and, uh, and our families. And so the production cycle really doesn't kick up for us until starting in mid January. And so then, at, so we've been building, building, building. And just so everybody knows it, I would say I spend an average of three months out, you know, uh, starting these game projects. I, I wouldn't say I start anything too much less than three months out where um, we're actually in some level of production. So it's going to sound like we've got a lot of games coming up and it's not that we're sacrificing quality. We're trying to rush anything out. We've been building a lot of these things slowly over time and now we're getting ready to release them. So I just want to preface by saying, yeah, we've got a lot of games coming out. It's going to get a lot busier. It's not because we found a cheaper place to print you know, our packaging or anything. Well, it's not like we're going to be releasing one every day either. So No, but we are going to be releasing two or three sometimes in one month. And that is new to our customer base. That's kind of new to our internal cycle. Uh, so some of the games, uh, you know, some of the games we'll have where we put out one version on uh, PS4 a long time ago, and now it's coming out on Switch, like Runer, that we'll talk about later. But what's coming up in July uh, and another in, in August, uh, right, that we've released uh, and announced something for, Carry On is coming out. Now, we haven't announced the release date for Carry On, uh, but it's going to be soon, I'll tell you, for sure. And if you want to tune in to Devolver Direct, uh, the Devolver Direct uh, webcast, you'll actually see a little bit of Special Reserve Games featured before uh, on the countdown. And that is what essentially would be their E3 press conference, their video press conference. They're calling it Devolver Direct. It's taking place uh, June 11th. I mean, I'm sorry, July 11th, you know, whatever, <laughs> July 11th. And, uh, well, you know, I'm thinking about next year already. And uh, But they will be talking about a lot of games and Carry On's one of them. So I will say, tell you some things that we're doing with Carry On uh, that are unique and new because it's a great game. It's uh, from Phobia out of Poland. And they have a very specific vision for this. It's a reverse horror game, you know, where you play as the monster and you're, you're, the, the people are, are the bad guys. They're trying to kill you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but you do. How many times have you th seen something like that? And you're like, man, I wish I could be the villain in this. So Yeah, exactly. And But, you know, well, the, those people do get eaten. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I will say. I will say they do pay the price. They do eat, getting eaten. But uh, one thing that we're we're doing for carry on is introducing a few new pieces around the art of the game and such it, it does have kind of a movie 
horror movie poster, you know, thing that you want to do with it. But what we did was I contacted a, a great friend. Uh, his name is George Zukuzidis, and he is from Greece. Greece. And uh, he's... A, wait, wait, just say, say that again? Uh, Greece. No, no. <laughs> George Zukuzidis. I, I can't say it. It's, man, it's a great it. name. Uh, but uh, he is an incredible sculptor. Uh, he does a lot of his own original art. He, he's not known. He doesn't like knock off other things, but he has a big Cthulhu series that is just phenomenal. And uh, so we contacted him about doing an original sculpture that is his artwork, but it is inspired by the game Carry On. And there was already a tie that the monster from Carry On just kind of really struck me. I, I thought to reach out to George and see if he'd want to make something special with us. So it's not that he made a sculpt of the Carry On monster. He is sculpting something from his own mind, his own artistic mind and vision, but it's inspired by carry-on. And you'll see it's very similar. And it's pigmented clay. So this isn't a PVC or a resin pour or something like that. Every single one of these is going to be a, a pigmented clay, live signed by George, and bundled together with uh, some things that we're doing for carry-on. So not only will we do a fantastic physical release for carry-on, we're also going to honor the art of that game and all the other art that's being done uh, and to show how uh, you know, you can display art differently, but you can think about the art differently because if you see what we're sculpting, it's a 3D, what we call wall plaque. So it is flat on one side. It's meant to be hung on the wall. The rest of it is all 3D sculpted. So it's uh, going to be something kind of fun. So I'm really excited about Carry On and everything that we're going to put around it to honor it physically. Well, gentlemen, I think that uh, we've really hit all the high notes today, haven't we? I think we're going to say that uh, we thank you for listening, and this is a game over. Game over.